This is a special Walker Cup episode from the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. The finest amateurs from Great Britain, Ireland, and the United States will face each other on May 8th and 9th at one of the most iconic golf clubs in the world. We know the teams, but a certain mystique surrounds the venue, Seminole Golf Club. In the next few weeks, you'll hear stories from Seminole members, former Walker Cup captains, USGA officials, and other special guests. These are the Seminole Sessions, a preview to the 2021 Walker Cup match. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And finally, it is Walker Cup week. These are the Seminole Sessions. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. Well, it's finally here after two years of waiting and, quite frankly, some uncertainty as to whether or not this Walker Cup match would be contested on schedule due to the coronavirus pandemic. We are all set for the pinnacle of amateur golf at Seminole Golf Club this weekend. My guest on this episode is no stranger to the back of the range. In fact, I think this is his third appearance. He always has some good information and insight to share whenever we find some time to chat about the state of amateur golf. So naturally, I wanted to make sure that I included Stuart Hagestad in the Seminole Sessions. He's been the lone mid-amateur on the last three U.S. Walker Cup teams. And between him and Nathan Smith, you could make a compelling argument that they are the two faces of amateur golf over the last 25 years. Stu and I were able to catch up this past weekend to talk about this year's team, how it might compare to previous year's teams, and how he has had to juggle his professional and personal aspirations while staying in the hunt for a spot on the Walker Cup team. And yes, there is even a Paul Simpson story in this episode. No, it's not Walker Cup related, but you just don't turn down a good Paul Simpson story. Stu, you're back. Thanks so much for doing this. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for having me. We're doing all right. So we are getting rapidly, uh, we're rapidly approaching uh, the Walker Cup. And uh, I know that you're no stranger to this podcast. And it seems like every tournament I'm showing up at, you're showing up at. So we've uh, had many conversations. But uh, before we get into uh, our, our episode, having some fun, let's get serious for one second. Congratulations. Three straight Walker Cups. Um, you are in a pretty rare rarefied air in the mid-am era that started in 1981. I mean, there's Trip Keeney and Bob Lewis and Jim Holtgrieve. And uh, you and uh, that that's the kind of category you're in right now. And and you and Nathan Smith have the most Walker Cup appearance appearances in this century. And if you keep the, the, the pedal down over the next 12 years and never miss a team, you're going to catch Francis Wiemann and Jay Sigel. So these are some really great things to keep in mind. <laughs> Well, that's that's very nice of you to say, and thank you. But um, I'm, I'll be totally honest. I'm just looking forward to the. I'm just looking forward to the opportunity of next week. So okay, so you're not thinking. To, you're not thinking about man. If I could just keep this going till I'm like 42. Uh, no, you're probably not thinking that. We we have a cool opportunity, uh, you know, next week, and I'm looking forward to being with the boys, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, we can prepare accordingly, and hopefully, we'll have you know, should be a great week. Yeah. Well. Little housekeeping here at the back of the range before we start talking about the Walker Cup and what you've been doing for the last several months to kind of prepare and, and get your game sharp and also get yourself secured onto the team. Um, Paul Simpson was a recent guest on the back of the range, and you you were episode 52. You have, as many people might know, um, 
probably the most downloaded episode in the history of this podcast. Really the the face, I would say, of mid-amateur golf over the last uh, 10 years. And then I have Paul Simpson on the podcast, and his episode has been an absolute um, uh, barnstormer, so to speak. This guy that probably doesn't have a big social media presence, just uh, the nicest guy in the world out of North Carolina. But there is a fascination with this guy. I know you have a great Paul Simpson story that you've told me. Give me a Paul Simpson story before we start talking about uh, the Walker Cup. (laughs) All right. So there's two, and I'll try and quickly run you through them both. The first time I met Paul was at LACC uh, in the Thomas, I think, in 2016. And he he had kind of an earlier tea time. He was wearing this bucket hat. And um, anyone that knows Paul knows that he, he... he likes he likes his red wine and you know he just he just, I figured he was kind of an older guy that you know didn't play a ton or maybe had won something pretty impressive in in his day and and he was hitting it out there 230 235 240 whatever it was and sure it was early so the ball wasn't really flying and um I just remember thinking wow that is so cool that this this older guy who I, I have clearly no appreciation for, you know, or just understanding his, his resume, you know, it's, it's so great that he's competing. Wow. That's, that's good for him. I hope he has a neat week. And he kind of comes over and says hi and shakes my hand and he's totally being friendly, has no idea who I am. Um, and in my, I, it's not his fault. It's my fault. I didn't know who he was. I wasn't like, you know, bowing to the ground that he walked on. Right. Right. But, he goes out and finishes second. I'm like, can I swear on this? <laughs> Holy shit, who is this guy? Like, and so I looked him up and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. What a what a beast. This guy's unbelievable. He's won like 47 North-South championships. Yeah. Uh, he's played in 60 plus USGA events or whatever it had been and he'd won. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like there's just so much about this world that I, I need to, you know, kind of brush up on really quickly. And then the second one was the first year that um, I played in the Coleman, I was and still I am good friends with Harvey and, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot of people. So Harvey was like, Hey, why don't you come play with us? It's myself and Steve Harwell and uh, Paul Simpson. And, you know, let's go play. I'm like, okay, great. So he's like, well, I know Paul really well. So I'll be, I'll be with Paul and this is Steve and you guys will be partners. And I'm like, great, perfect. So we go out and we get waxed like five, three and one, like, Oh, we, it was, it wasn't even close. So we get in and I'm kind of like, Oh my gosh, like, guys made every putt he looked at he hit every fairway hit every green like he probably missed two greens chipped it to a foot i mean it was a clinic and we go into lunch and someone's like hey you know good to see you you know how was the practice area how'd you guys play and i was like well it was great but we got smoked like good lord whoever it was was like well who'd you play with i'm like well it's you know scott and steve and paul and he goes you're such an idiot that's called three friends and a stranger That's great. That's great. Oh my so, gosh. Well, um, enjoyed having him and, and obviously enjoy having you whenever you come on the podcast. So, uh, but yeah, I, I could not, uh, when, when Paul Simpson's episode dropped, I was like, oh my God, he has just a, a following that, uh, Hey, I was kind of an idiot like you. I'm like, man, everyone knows Paul Simpson. Like, how did this happen? He's, he's so good. Oh my gosh. He's so impressive. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot, a lot of fun with him. Now we are, as we said, you know, we're recording this. Basically, you're leaving tomorrow. You're on the West Coast. You're coming down to South Florida to to prepare for for Walker Cup. And um, you know, most uh, many of the guys on the team they just wrapped up their conference championships. Uh, you know, Cole just 
won the Big 12 individual, and Ekro just led Oklahoma State to their championship. I know Quaid was playing well, and you know a lot of these championships are going on. But obviously, you you don't have that. You you don't have the opportunity to play in these collegiate events. Um, I know you played at uh, the Terracotta down in Naples, had a really solid you know top five finish. But how how do you kind of approach getting ready for a Walker Cup when tournament reps are limited? How do you kind of approach this? Well, that's a great that's a great question. Um, I think one thing that I think I've done a nice job of during the season, you know, when there's not a lot of tournaments is that you just keep your your standard for yourself kind of unrealistically high um you know i'm i've been very lucky to have played you know the last handful of years and to kind of know essentially what's good enough you know what's good enough to compete against the kids and you know how truly you know having an appreciation for how good they are and when when you kind of know the level that you need to get to it it's less of a of a guessing game um so that's from the golf side the other side from the fitness side is i will pretty much cold turkey put the clubs away i mean here and there i'll play with you know maybe my my younger brothers or a friend but i don't really play a ton of social golf um i mean obviously I, i i do it i just don't do a lot of it it's it's kind of a rare thing um i'll work out five or six days a week um maybe if i need to scratch the itch i'll go putt or chip and put on a podcast like one of yours or something if there's a new one out you know to to go do that but for the most part um i think just being present with the game and i obviously follow it but um i i really do think having goals outside of golf and being able to focus like your time energy and effort into other things allows you to kind of prepare with such a intensity or with such like a direct approach that it is really helpful when it does come time um, to get ready for an event. Yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of like you're kind of shutting down the golf brain a little bit when you don't absolutely need to flex it and keeping your, you know, keeping your focus on other things. And, and to that point, I think every tournament I've saw you at in the last several months, whether it's Jones cup or East West, um, it, it seems like you, I mean, I know you're working on your MBA and there seems like you always had something else other than golf, as opposed to a lot of these college kids were, or juniors, I mean, gosh, I mean, I saw kids out on the putting green and the driving range till till dark, and I know that wasn't you. You were working on other things. Um, how much, I guess, yeah, I mean, how much has the the chase of the NBA and, and kind of furthering your, your career helped you, I guess, with your golf game? So what I would do, so I got I got kind of lucky in the sense that I, I booked, um, you know, essentially – on Tuesdays, knowing that I would want to try and play in some stuff and I would likely have to travel to do it is I went out of my way to make sure to book classes late, um, on Tuesdays. So starting at three 30 until nine 30 on the West coast. Right. And then, I mean, this is no different than the kids are in that sense, but I would allow that to be a travel day. And these are obviously things I thought about back in September and October. And then from there, you know, given meetings, calls, um, Obviously, during East West, I was going through recruiting as well as a little bit part of the spring um, for summer stuff and then for then after. So I knew that I would probably only have time to play nine, um, which is fine. So you just you get in, a, you know, you use Tuesday as a travel day, you get in and 
it just comes down to efficiency, right? Like if you have to wake up an hour earlier or later, whatever it is, I mean, there's an expression, if you really need to get something done, give it to someone that's already overwhelmed. And I think that's just kind of an example. I, if I don't have a lot going on, I get complacent and lazy. So I try and kind of make, I'm an anxious person by nature. Um, so I just, I try and make sure that I'm, I'm pretty current and, you know, just booked of what I'm, whatever I'm doing. It's just the way I've kind of always been. So, um, yeah. What's the, what is kind of the ramp up in, like, I just remember back in leading up to the 19 team or the 19 Walker cup over at Hoylake. I just remember that big just chase for people to make the team and, and the rankings were so close. I mean, even the, the automatic three spots, you know, it was really between you and Brandon, uh, Brandon Wu. And I think on the last week or two, uh, you and Brandon flip-flopped four and three where you got the automatic and really you guys were three A and three B. But I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this is what was kind of the difference in the feeling of that Walker Cup chase as opposed to this one when you, you know, add in coronavirus and, you know, tournaments being canceled and it just, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, did it probably didn't have the same feel, did it? Well, there was one thing that was very beneficial for my sake since, you know, I'm a mid-am and I only play for essentially, what, three and a half, four months a year. That's that's that stretch from call it Memorial Day until Labor Day. So I knew well in advance that if you played well that summer, that could be massively beneficial looking two years down the line um, since the Walker Cup is a two-year rolling points basis. So that was helpful in that sense. So there was like kind of an extra incentive to play well in the summer of 2019. Um, but I mean, you hit the nail on the head given, you know, the coronavirus, everyone's had their challenges and struggles. And obviously depending on whatever state you're in, that adds kind of another level of complexity to it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think there was obviously the summer last year, you know, the USGA events were going to have massive implications given that, you know, it was essentially like a 20 month run up rather than a two-year run-up. I mean, you could obviously make the argument it was a two-year run-up, but you get what I'm trying to say with that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was different. It didn't affect me a tremendous amount. Um, I, in other years, may not have played the Jones Cup, but I kind of was encouraged and felt like that may be, you know, helpful uh, during the process. So we obviously went down there, and that was important. Um, as far as, and I can't speak for you know the kids but you know kind of as an outsider looking in and watching it happen there just really weren't a ton of events you know at the same time i don't think this was something that you didn't see coming you know with a little bit of homework and with a little bit of foresight you knew kind of what events there were to play in um you know from you were obviously a little bit hamstrung by whatever college you were in and what you know what events you could play in with your school. But I think that the selection committee was able to kind of look at, well, you had, you know, the Merido amateur and you had the, um, you know, the, the South beach, and then you had the Jones cup. And if you were able to go down there, like use coal as an example, and, you know, to really play great in a couple of those that, you know, I think the world of coal in his game and he just won big 12s and that's incredible. But, you know, I bet, at the time, you know, it was something he needed to do and he went out and he played great. And, yeah. you know, I, I think we can all say that we're not only thrilled for him, but, you know, to go and to play great, he, he earned his way on the team. 
So I, I hope that we can all say the same for all of us. And I think I think they they did a nice job. And you know, we should have, as I said, we should have a, a good good group of guys going down next week. Yeah, and and looking towards uh, you know looking towards Seminole, uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back actually to Hoylake because I remember that week. Um, I think you, know, you spent the entire week basically at Hoylake. I know you went and played Burkdale and a couple other courses before you actually, you know, uh, you know, set up camp so to speak at Hoylake. And you guys played River, Royal Liverpool that entire week of practice rounds, and there was just, I mean, the best weather was actually during the Walker Cup. The worst weather was during the practice rounds. And I think by Thursday, Friday, you guys were just like, let's just get started. Um, you didn't want to really waste any more time or energy playing Royal Liverpool if there weren't points uh, up for grabs. And, you know, this week you guys are going down to Seminole, one of the most iconic clubs in the world. It's basically going almost like going to fantasy golf camp. How are you going to try and limit your reps at a place like that where people basically watching on TV or that get to actually go to the Walker Cup, they would kill to play 36 a day there for, you know, for a month? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's, a, that's another great, great observation. Um, you know, everyone's different. And I think that's something that you learn as you get older um, is, you know, how to best play and how to best prepare and what you need to do to play at your best and for some people that may be playing 18 27 a day and for some people you know playing matches or whatever for some other people maybe that's you know playing nine and kind of practicing and going through drills and you know hitting certain shots or you know even just kind of spending a lot of time around the greens um you know everyone's different and i think one thing that that captain crosby did a really nice job of back in 2019 um, was to kind of allow us that freedom to go out and to basically do whatever we could to go and just to prepare and to do whatever we could in our power, you know, to, to go out and to play our best when, when, when the tournament started. And one thing that I learned um, from a lot of the guys on the team in 17, specifically, you know, Maverick McNeely, who had played on a team in 15, was there's so much that goes into that week besides the golf if you can take the time to go stretch or do a light workout or even just sit down, a lot of those things can pay dividends uh, going down the line, right? There's, there's a lot more than just the golf aspect of it. You need personal time to go and to relax and to reflect and to recharge. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, is definitely something that, the guys on this team in 2021, you know, it's, it's a little bit older of a team. These are guys that have kind of played a lot of, you know, competitive event, competitive events. I think they'll have a great pulse and a great understanding of what they need to do to go out and to combine their individual efforts and to, to put forth, you know, their best golf. I'm also thinking of what kind of a tremendous advantage is to have the Walker cup at Seminole. I can just imagine you guys at having practice rounds there during the week and obviously it's closed to spectators until Friday uh, at the at the very you know earliest. But you're going to have former Walker Cup captains that are also members there, like Buddy Marucci and Downing Gray and Vinnie Giles that are just there and just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing not only are you tapping uh, Captain Crosby, who's also a member at Seminole, but you have all these kind of de facto uh, Walker Cup veterans that are walking around and, and very knowledgeable of Seminole. I'm guessing you're going to tap some of those guys if you're on a casual round playing nine holes. I mean, I'm guessing you're saying, hey, you know, come for a walk and show us what you think. Well, I'll say this. I'm far 
far, far, far from the most talented person on that team, let alone on that property. So I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head and I'm going to go out and try and do as much homework and, you know, try and reach out into many or as many people as I can. I mean, you mentioned a lot of them. I don't think there's many people at that, at that club that know it better than, you know, I think Vinny is kind of the go-to one. If you can go and tap, you know, tap his knowledge and, have a look into his, his, his golf ring, his golf IQ, but you go down the list. I mean, spider buddy, Mike McCoy, Gene Elliott. I mean, yeah. Gene's never played on a team, but shoot. I mean, he's had a pretty good run there. So, um, you know, I'm obviously missing a whole bunch, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and do that as much as, um, we're limited to. I know, and I've asked about it before. I know that we're probably going to be a little bit, um, pulled back and kind of kept in a bubble as far as the team just sure. due to restrictions and all that that goes into it. Um, I will do everything in my power to, to try and learn from those guys because they're literally the greats of the game. Um, you know, I know that place better than anyone, but, um, no, I, I've, we'll see. Well, it, 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 it honestly, we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, of course. Does this team have maybe a similar feel to the 17 team? Because I'm looking at the 17 team. Obviously, Zalatoris uh, has been, you know, killing it for the last year, but it seems like everyone just found out about him at the Masters, which is funny. Um, you know, obviously, Morikawa has a major championship, and a lot of the other guys in the team are kind of checking the boxes uh, and getting into the pro ranks and, and picking up wins. And obviously, time's going to tell uh, who on this 21 team is going to emerge in the next several years. But I'm just... You know, you've been on three teams. One was at your home course. The other one was at Hoy Lake. This one is at a place where you have a lot of experience. Um, you know, do you see any similarity between this team and, and maybe the 17 team? I mean, that's that's a pretty loaded question. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I do that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's there's, there's no right answer for that. Yeah. So what I will say is I think one thing that um, – I noticed pretty quickly about this 2017 team was how well they prepared and how well they were able to put themselves in an opportunity to succeed. And they did that early in the week. I mean, these are, these are kids that have extremely, I mean, they're shoot, they're literally tour pros now. I mean, these are, these are guys that have incredible golf IQs and, you know, have such a, a, and I've said it a couple of times, but just such a great pulse on kind of where their game is, how the course is playing, how to manage it, how to go about it. And I think if you look at this team in 2021, you know, you see a lot of guys that have, have played a ton of tournament golf. They've played a lot of tournament golf in big spots, you know, whether it's conference championships, NCAAs, Palmer Cups, USAMs. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great group that I know is going to do everything that they can to kind of lock into whatever their process is to give themselves the best chance to play well. If we look back in five, six, seven years and we say, man, what a great team that was, you know, like it's, it's comparable to 17. I think that would be very special and that would be great. But I, I do know that from the preparation standpoint and from the process standpoint, you know, at the beginning of the week, this is a group um, that's definitely, you know, going to kind of grab the bull by the horns and, and they're going to go about it the right way. And, you know, as long as you do that, I think that's all you can do. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's perfect. Um, I know that the pairings are a well-guarded secret. I'm sure there's probably going to be some no-brainers. There might be a couple surprises, but uh, there is, there's one team that I know that is already lock, and that's, uh, that's yourself 
and uh, Mr. Serge Hogue, a veteran caddy at Seminole. Um, he's a buddy of mine, and yes, I am saying that on this podcast for everyone to hear. And he has uh, he has been a guest on this podcast. He is, shall we say, unique. Um, talk to me about uh, about your partnership partnership with Serge. Well, I had to clear it up with Harv first. So, okay. uh, oh yeah, because he, yeah, because he's caddy for Harv in the Coleman. Yeah, and the Crumb. Uh-huh. So I've I've gone up against Serge a handful of times, and I've been both on the the better side and the worst side, depending on who's 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 who, which guy you're rooting for. So I will say this about Serge: is I don't think there's many guys that care more and will put more effort and energy and just time and thought into it. And he, he's, I've been very lucky in the sense to have spent time with Serge where I feel like he's got a very, very good idea of kind of what I like to do and what my game is and the way that I kind of manage my way around the course. Um, I think that Serge is going to have a great understanding of kind of having you know that we've kind of been around each other in moments where it gets a little bit more tense or you know there's a one-shot lead or a one-shot deficit or whatever it may be i think that he's going to have a great idea of kind of what i'm feeling and what i'm going through and the way that i see things right um and then also just from the standpoint of like he has such an amazing ability and anyone that's ever been with shirts with, with with surge can attest to this is he has a great ability to kind of take a little bit of you know levity to any situation not like in a way that like brings you away from what you're trying to accomplish right. but in a way that kind of makes you you know kind of smile and brings you back down to earth so to speak yeah that's a that's a very good way of putting that Stu. <laughs> that's that's really good um but yeah he's he's 100 he's 100 like that um the other i was going to ask is like on paper i guess and of course the the matches nothing is you know contested on paper that's got to be contested on the golf course but if you look at wagger you look on paper the u.s team would would be considered a favorite uh you know you're a veteran you've been on multiple teams and you've you know you're the, the only mid-am on the team and a lot of these guys obviously they're they're college kids how do you kind of take a leadership role and kind of get them in the right mindset of, you know, Hey, yeah, we're the favorites, but this, you know, nothing is for sure. We need to go out and beat these guys. Um, you know, how do you approach leading the team in a way where they stay hungry and, and stay competitive and, and don't kind of buy into idiots like me in the media saying that, uh, that it's a lock. Uh, there's two things that immediately come to mind. One is you're right. And I've said it a couple of times and, you know, on paper, you're right. We, we probably would be favored according to Wagger, but it's not played on paper. So it's important to remember, you know, you could look back at teams that have gone overseas and we've gone and we've gotten crushed. Right. So it's important to remember that it's not only not played on paper, but also that the kids that are coming over there are really good. I mean, they have incredibly golf IQs. They have all the shots. They've got, you know, great short games and they're going to a place that's more of a linksy layout, you know, that's a little bit windy. So, it's just you can't really take anything for granted because in you know when 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 the event starts i guaranteed no one on the tee on either side is thinking about what the ranking is yeah you know it's like well you got to go out and you got to play this guy i mean look at look at a bunch of the ncaa teams you know that have gone through the years and gone through the tournament you know no one saw i don't know i guess augusta State coming yeah yeah twice so you know i i go back to 
the preparation side of it, you know what the standard of excellence is. Every one of those kids has been around guys that have either played on tour or played on NCAAs. A lot of them have done it themselves. They know where they need to be going into that week. So if you can really make an opportunity or sorry, make a, make a strong emphasis to push yourselves, you know, that's huge. And it, it doesn't just start, you know, with me or Cole or John having all of us played on a team before. I mean, you look down to Cooper Dossie and you look down to, to Mac Meisner. I mean, these are two guys that have an opportunity to come in and maybe they won't play, but maybe they play four matches if something crazy happens. So sure. these are guys that are going to come into a team room and they're going to come into that type of environment. They're going to bring the right attitude and mentality of, hey, we need to, you know, to push everyone. It starts at the ground up, right? So it's, I think that's something that we're going to try and maybe just really emphasize early in the week. Certainly there's going to be a couple of days, maybe on Saturday or Sunday, we're all together and we're all excited and that's great, but it's, it's very important to make sure that, you know, we, we understand kind of what, what the, the end goal is here and to, to kind of keep our eye on the prize. And then the other thing I'll say is, and I think a lot of Walker cuppers in the past would probably emphasize the same thing is while it's really cool to be on a Walker cup team, it's a hell of a lot cooler to be on a winning Walker cup team. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify what you mentioned, you mentioned Mac Miser and Cooper Dossie. These are the two traveling, uh, uh, sub- substitutes, so to speak, the, uh, the first and second alternates that will be there on site, uh, due to just, as you said, they may play no matches, which is if they, if the team stays intact at the 10 you have right now, but obviously if there's any sort of an injury or any sort of a, a health issue, there are uh, replacements uh, or al- alternates on site, and the GB9 team has that as well. So just wanted to throw that in in case people were kind of wondering about your, your reference to, to Meisner and to Dossie. So just one final thing I wanted to ask you. Let's just take the club out of your hands, and let's just talk a little bit about maybe the future of amateur golf and, and mid-amateur golf. You know, this is just a very unique opportunity for the amateur game to really have the entire – spotlight of the golf world for uh you know for for a couple of days I, I know there's a pga tour event i think it's the yeah, it's the wells fargo this this coming up weekend um you know i know there's many other tournaments going on but really this at seminole on golf channel this is really going to be the showcase you're obviously one of the you know more notable names in the amateur space over the last 10 10 years you know take like i said take the club out of your hands for a bit and more think of it as like a steward of amateur golf, what kind of a bump, what would you like to see happen to amateur golf uh, throughout this weekend of, of the Walker cup being showcased at Seminole? Um, it's pretty deep. I don't know if I've ever been asked or thought about it at that level, but one thing I, the first thing I think of when I think of the Walker cup is it's the highest honor in amateur golf. And I think, um, I know that it's going to be shown on you know TV, and obviously there'll be a lot of media and publicity surrounding it. But I just the first time I had the chance to go play Seminole um, in the Coleman, you know, it's it's really a special place, and I think the whole world got a nice opportunity to see it in that Taylor made match last year, and sure. it's. I mean, I think, and I don't know that it's close. You know, it's got kind of the the highest golf IQ, you know, as far as a membership out there. And these are all people that, that care deeply and desperately about not just amateur golf or professional golf, but the game at large. 
And, you know, these, these are people, you know, as a whole that will talk, that will take place and be there, you know, in, in Palm beach, you know, whether it's members, whether it's media members, USGA, the RNA, both members of each team, you know, guests and patrons. And these are all people that want to leave the game in a better place than it was when they first discovered it. And I think that's kind of the beauty of, of the Walker cup is, it's not a professional event. And while there's no money, you know, attached to it, you know, that's a huge driver of it. This is golf in its purest form. And I think people, if they have the chance to kind of, to watch and to pay attention and to follow the Walker cup, they're going to really see how special of an event this is and how well it's run and the level of play as well. I mean, these are literally the best amateurs in the world. So, you know, the opportunity to be playing is obviously very special to me, but more than that, just everything that goes into it, you know, the Walker cup means a lot to me. And I've set a lot of my personal and professional goals, honestly, you know, kind of to follow the Walker cup over the last handful of years. And I just think, you know, if, if, if you have young kids, um, you know, male or female that are just getting into the game, or even, you know, if you, if you tune in to follow it, I I just, I think it's going to have a special feel and a, and a different, um, you know, just kind of aura that surrounds it that you may not have at, you know, another amateur event or a, or a PGA tour event. And I think there's something, you know, really special about that. And, um, I just, I, I have a feeling it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a great week for everyone involved. Well said, I know I'm looking forward to it and a lot of other people are looking forward to it. I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled that it's going to get the attention and showcased on TV. I know that, uh, it, I know it was televised in 2017 and no, it wasn't at Hoylake in 19. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, but, well, well, Stu, I, I appreciate it. Uh, always fun catching up. Uh, congrats again on, on making your third consecutive Walker cup team. I will see you in a few days at, uh, at Seminole, sir. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing you down there. Thanks again. And there you have it. Special thanks to Stuart Hagestad for joining me on this episode of The Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Everything you need to know about this podcast can be found at thebackoftherange.com. The seminal sessions will continue this week, so stay subscribed, and we'll see you next time here at The Back of the Range.